This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 11th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Large multinational companies spend a great deal of time and energy discovering where to locate production facilities. Labor costs, taxes, tariffs, and regulations all play a role. Cato Institute trade policy analyst Dan Pearson comments on how trade gets done and what the new Trump administration should focus on. When a firm is deciding where it's going to continue its operations or whether it's deciding, well, should I really stay in this country or should I move somewhere else? What are some of the key uh, factors that companies use to make that kind of decision? This is not such an issue for businesses that just manufacture in the United States because most of them will stay here. And if there's competitive pressure, they do as well as they can for as long as they can. But the real challenge comes from multinational firms that already operate in multiple countries because they have a very good understanding of what the costs and benefits are of manufacturing in these different locations. So when you have a U.S. firm like Carrier that manufactures in multiple countries, at least in the United States and Mexico at this point, they know what it would mean to shift production out of Indianapolis down to to Mexico. And there can be a number of reasons for that. All right. So, uh, for a company that that decides, well, we're just going to move this new plant or we're going to open a new plant uh, in Mexico versus Canada or the United States, what are some of the key factors that would say, that would that would lead them to make that particular decision? Certainly, the labor cost is a potential uh, factor. Uh, the Mexican labor is, um, in Carrier's case, it was about a, f- a fourth of the cost in the, in the United States on an hourly basis. However, it's hard to know how to interpret that because the productivity of the average U.S. worker is more than three times higher than the average Mexican worker. And so it's not obvious that that labor cost alone would cause them to shift. So putting out a cattle call for workers in the United States would yield workers that walking in the door could do many different things? On average, the worker walking in the door in the United States would have a higher level of education, uh, more skills, and could step into a wider variety of uh, positions uh, quickly and comfortably. What what else contributes to that decision? There, there's the broad regulatory environment. You have the uh, OSHA and environmental and, and, and national labor relations board requirements in the United States. In many other countries, those requirements might be less expensive, and I think Mexico would, would meet that standard. Another issue that is policy-driven that causes U.S. firms to want to move elsewhere is the fact that steel is overpriced in the United States. And, and I say that not because I don't think highly of the U.S. steel industry, and uh, because they are a, a very good world-class industry. But what's happened over time is that that industry has brought anti-dumping and countervailing duty cases, and now they have more than 160 of those orders in place. And that has had the effect of raising the steel price in the United States above what it is in most of the rest of the world. So that's good for the steel industry, I suppose, but it isn't very good for the downstream firms that use steel as an input in their manufacturing. So for a company that decides, oh, we're going we're gonna to locate this new plant in Mexico versus the United States, what kind of savings could they expect on imports to their plant in in 
that new country or the United States. Right. It would depend, of course, uh, on the product and because the, the amount of the anti-dumping duty varies by product. But it would be really easy to think uh, of a price a benefit of between 5 and 20 percent. That, that would not be unreasonable. There are some products coming into the United States, steel products, that have combined anti-dumping and countervailing duties in excess of 500 percent. So the U.S. steel market now is really very protected, more so, I believe, than any time since decades ago when the Smoot-Hawley tariff of 1930 was in the process of being dismantled. So the, the practical impact then uh, potentially for attempting to protect one domestic industry in the United States is to uh, have companies that make use of the products of that industry move outside of the country uh, that they've been based in. Absolutely. If you are an air conditioning manufacturer or an auto manufacturer in the United States, both those products use lots of steel. Your competitor firms, be they in Europe or Japan or Korea or Mexico, those firms are going to have a lower cost for steel. And so they have a distinct advantage. I mean, look, in this country, people can buy washing machines made in Korea, for instance. Those are heavy things. They have a lot of steel in them. Uh, they also can buy cars made in Germany or, or, or Japan. And one of the cost factors that, that is helping those overseas firms is the price of steel. President-elect Donald Trump has taken great pains to uh, threaten a company like Carrier and then ultimately uh, agreed with Carrier that somehow the U.S. government would be providing them some subsidies to stay here in the United States. But uh, if I understand what you're saying, it would make more sense for uh, President-elect Trump instead to be railing against the regulatory environment or the various uh, trade agreements that have sort of created these incentives? The overall U.S. tariff structure for most products, including steel, is really quite low. Most steel products come into the country at zero or, or low levels of tariff. However, we have a system uh, through anti-dumping and countervailing duties that allows U.S. industries that believe they're being injured by imported products to bring action that allows then, if they're successful, th allows the imposition of anti-dumping and countervailing duties. And those duties have become quite high in the steel sector and, and cover a whole lot of products, such that the effective level of protection for steel is much, much higher in the United States than it is in most countries. Broadening this to beyond steel, when companies are trying to make that decision, that, that all-important location decision, they're also considering the market that they're trying to serve. Absolutely. Is it more advantageous to have a plant located close to the area where the inputs are coming from or closer to the area where the customers are. Now, there are real advantages in having some facilities in Mexico because Mexico historically was underserved with manufacturing. And so if you're going to build small automobiles in Mexico, you've got local demand for a lot of them. Attitudes of government toward business, as reflected in a, a, a wide range of policies, are important. This would be tax policy, uh, environmental policy, policies toward labor, policies uh, toward um, economic freedom in general. 
And some countries are better at that than others. Some states in the United States are better at it than others. There are reasons why we see more uh, business investment in Texas than in Massachusetts, for instance. Okay, Texas is just much more business friendly. The same with, with North Carolina relative to Washington state. If you had one piece of advice for the incoming Trump administration uh, to both attract large firms that uh, might consider locating some of their production in the United States and uh, you know, seeking also to keep our current large firms that, that produce items in the United States, what would it be? I would recommend that we reform the anti-dumping and countervailing duty system. Now, those duties are, can be put in place when U.S. industries believe that imports are unfairly traded. Uh, but there are so many of those orders in place for steel, more than 160, that downstream manufacturers that use steel as an input, input are paying uh, an abnormally high price. And that is uh, hurting the competitiveness of those firms against, their, against firms overseas that make similar products. So I think that we should change U.S. law so that the, we would not impose anti-dumping and countervailing duties except if it's clear that that duty would increase the, the economic welfare of the United States. In other words, there would be a net e benefit to the economy of the United States from imposing those measures. Because right now, we are hurting uh, our country with, with those measures. And in terms of the tax system and the regulatory system that we have in the United States? Yes, the tax system certainly discourages firms from locating here because the corporate tax rate is, is 35%, one of the highest in the world. Uh, the regulatory structures, when you have, when you're unable to get a permit to run a pipeline from Canada to the United States because the, of political pressure from the White House, that's not a regulatory environment that encourages investment in the United States. Dan Pearson is a trade policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.